This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Well, welcome. It's good to see you all. Thank you for coming. Um, let me just say a few housekeeping things before we start. I've got a strange accent, and I speak too quickly. So what that means is that not everything I'm going to say, you're going to catch. So if you do not get what I'm saying, I'm purposely speaking slowly. If you do not get what I'm saying, please raise your hand. I'll say it again. Shout out. Repeat it. Um, say it again, brother. However you want to get me to say it, I'll say it again. Is, is that okay? Because... Um, I was explaining that my name was Sam Walters to somebody and they didn't get it earlier on, so I'm, 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 I'm getting, I'm, I'm, yeah, anyway. So I, I know people are struggling, so be with us, we'll, we'll work together and we'll see what we can do together. This seminar, are you in the right seminar? That's the first question. The evangelistic perspective, you're in the right seminar. You're in the right seminar, okay. Well, let's go. We're supposed to be doing this for an hour. So the plan for... This series of seminars is in the first two to look at the life struggle of being a Christian, but that perspective from an evangelistic perspective. And then in the next two or the latter two or the end two seminars, however you want to say that, we're going to look at the practice or the physics of being a Christian and evangelism. That's the plan. That's the plan. Um, so, does everyone get the plan? All right, cool. We're with the plan. We're with the plan. We're with the plan. We're with the plan. Well, let's say a prayer. And um, Should we join them? <laughs> Someone just said, no, we'll leave it alone then. Okay. Well, let's have a prayer and we'll begin. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, kindness, and mercy. You've been so good to us. Um, you are indeed our father Abraham and every bone of our body, every arm, every limb, every leg, we want them to move in action with you. Help us, guide us and lead us. Please may you be with us as we go through this presentation and go through um, what you'd have us to do and what you'd have us to know. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, just quickly, um, if you've got your phones, if you've got your phones um, I think you guys call them cell phones. In England, we call them mobile phones. If you've got your phones, if you've got your cell phone, um, if you just take it out quickly, and we're just going to do a test question. I don't know if you've used Polit before. Um, we're just seeing if you're in the seminar. And then we're going to do a few questions concerning the topic for this morning, just to see if we're all on track. This is just a test question to make sure everyone's in the room. Um, test question, are you in the seminar? So what you do, poll, P-O-L-L, E-V, dot com, forward slash, Sam Walters 308, and that will help you to get your stuff set up. Um, right, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Are we in? Are we in? Are we in? 
All right. Let's give it a few more moments. Give it a few more moments. I think we're done. We're done? Has everyone done it? We're in. Those who can do it, have we done it? All right, we've done it. Let's go to our... Where's the mouse? Here she is. Okay, we still will. People are still, people are still moving. Are we in? Are, are we, are we... Those who are, those who are doing it, are we... Okay. All right, boom. Right. Here we go. Let's go. In your personal definition of evangelism, is evangelism more of a series of planned outreach activities leading towards an end goal, or is it more of a lifestyle? Lifestyle? I heard people saying lifestyle. Um, let's, see what you, let's, let's see what you think. Let's see what you think. Drop it on here. Let's see what you think. Should start the process. Have you guys started doing it? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. We're in, we're in. Oh, snap. I feel like I'm going to have to redo the introduction. Come. Come, 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 come. Don't worry, just come. All right, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Let me just say for those who are walking in, um, we've got four seminars. We've got four seminars. The first one, this one is when I don't feel like it. The next one is from drifting to driven. And, and this one, we're looking at really um, what evangelism is about. And some of the reasons why sometimes as young people we don't engage in it and how we can overcome some of those reasons. That's what we're looking at in this one. We're just answering a few questions or asking a few questions to get people thinking about what their perspective of evangelism is. Um, the next one we're looking at from drifting to driven. So when R.D. Gallant phoned me, he was like, Sam, I recognize you're the outreach coordinator for peace. That's who I am, by the way. I'm the outreach coordinator for peace. It's the school of evangelism. You're the outreach coordinator for peace. Um, you're doing that part-time, but I also realize you're a pharmacist part-time. How do you um, do, the whole, do the whole evangelism at work um, thing? Um, and how do you live for Jesus at work at UD um, with an evangelistic perspective? So that's the next seminar. That's from drifting to driven. So we'll look at that next. Number three, Christ on the shop floor. What did Christ look like when he was doing his thing? When he was doing his thing. And number four, I should know my titles off the top of my head, and I do. Number four, there we go. Work your cycle in your circle. Um, and we'll talk about number four when number four comes. Now, we were just answering some questions, but I'm looking at some people. Some people haven't got phones. Some folk have got phones. So 
we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Right. Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Let me get this. As I've said, we're going to look at some of the reasons why we don't engage in personal evangelism and look at some of the ways we can overcome these reasons through a change in perspective. So through all the sessions, we're going to be trying to take a look at a change in perspective. My little cousin, should I say his name? This is going on recording. It is what it is. Tamari, I love him. Um, he was struggling in maths. You guys call it math. 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 He's struggling in maths. That's what we call it in the UK. Let me not fall over. He's struggling in maths. And so, because he's struggling in maths, he's easily distracted at school. And he's also distracting others. You know how it is. And so, because he's distracting others and easily distracted because he's struggling in maths, I've gone over one of the evenings to help him with his maths homework. The teachers have shown him one particular way to answer the questions. I'm now showing him a more simpler way to answer the questions. Are you seeing what I'm saying? He got a different perspective on the math. And with a different perspective on the math, it helped him to change his outlook, at least in that particular sphere of his math. Are you with me? So what we're doing this morning, afternoon, we're going to look at different perspectives. Maybe you've been looking at one thing one way, and we're going to stop looking at it that way, but we're going to put on new glasses. So as we put on new glasses, um, bear with me, because sometimes when you put new lenses on, it can be fuzzy at first. But hopefully things will be clear as we go. Are you with me so far? All right, boom. Here we go. First of all, then, why evangelism? Evangelism is the passion of God's heart. So we're just looking at a few reasons. Evangelism is the passion of God's heart. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why you came. Evangelism is the passion of God's heart. And so because it's the passion of God's heart, we do it because we want to be in line with God's passions. Does that make sense? We want to be in line with God's passions. When you know the value of a soul, you get involved in evangelism. I just heard myself speaking quickly. You get involved in evangelism. When you know the value of a soul, when you know the value, when you know the value, to actualize the purpose of your design. When you start working for God, you start living your best life. If you're not working for God, newsflash, you are not living your best life. So to transfer from just half-stepping to living a life that God will call you to live, you've got to work for him. It's the biblical way to reach the lost. And outreach helps the plane to take off in the spiritual experience. I don't know if you've ever been like me. The like me experience is that sometimes you're just trying to do things right. You're trying to do things right. You're trying to do things right. You're trying to do things right. And as you're trying to do things right, things just don't seem to be working for you. What I've realized is, is if you get involved in evangelism, you're allowing God to use you and to draw you into a deeper and closer relationship with him so that your Christianity can take off. Are you with me? 2020 isn't 2019. And so we want to take off. 
All right, here we go. Why not evangelism? We're not going to go through all of these reasons. But we're going to outline some of them. So lack of self-confidence. Um, some folk have got unrecognized potential. Um, some people don't do something unless they're asked. You know how it is. Um, some folk, they think they've got no training. Some people have got a limited role um, of, or limited understanding of their role. Some people are too busy. No motivation. And the last one, I'm struggling to get my own life together, let alone trying to help somebody with theirs. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Um, what we're going to try and do in this session, we're not going to try and address all of those because the session won't finish. What we're going to try and do is just take a look at the last four. Limited understanding of role, too busy, no motivation, struggling to get my own life together, let alone trying to help someone else with theirs. Is that okay? And then when we've done the four, we'll have finished. All right. So here we go. Here we go. Why not evangelism? Limited understanding of their own role. Do you know your role? Do you know your role? Did you know your role? Now, if you've got your Bibles, this is a seminar you need your Bible for. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got something with you, if you've got your Bibles, if you've got something with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 42 to 47. Come the seats. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The Bible says, And they steadfastly in the apostles, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Um, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as, they, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such as be saved, such as should be saved. Okay, here we go. Evangelism for the, for the believer back then, this is early church ministry. We're looking at understanding your own role. And people don't get involved in evangelism because they have a lack of understanding of their role. Evangelism for the believer in the early church wasn't an event it was a lifestyle. It wasn't something necessarily on the calendar. Though evangelism should be on the calendar. We're going to look at that in time management. But it is something that they lived, they breathed. It's something that they did. Are you with me? And so because it's something that they did and something that they lived and they breathed, it happened every day, every second, every minute. Whatever they were on, they were on it. They're at work. How can I share Jesus Christ? It was just in their category, in their thinking, in their sphere, in their thinking. Um, their seats, their seats, their seats, their seats, their seats. Come, just as you are. Come, you can come. You can come, you can come, you can come, you can come, you can come. Their seats, their seats, their seats, their seats, their seats. So um, evangelism for the believer wasn't an event, it was a lifestyle. Now notice something with me. We're still in Acts, but we're going to go to chapter 14 
And we're going to read verses 21 to 24. Acts, we're still in Acts, but we're going to go to chapter 14, reading verses 21 through to 24. And when they preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they, commanded them to, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after that, and after, they had passed through Pisidia or Pisidia and Pamphylia. Get the picture. Paul went about preaching and teaching. We're talking about roles, talking about roles, talking about roles. Paul went about preaching and teaching. He'd be preaching over here and he'd get some believers together. Then he'd go and he'd be preaching over here and he'd get some believers together. Then he'd go and he'd be preaching over here and he'd get some believers together. And in every section where he was preaching, he'd get the people to ordain elders where they are. Are you understanding what's going on so far? This is what Paul's on. This is what Paul's on. And so um, Paul then would... Just take a photo of this because we're not going to go through all those texts. But then Paul would go back round after he did his missionary journey and you guys are looking for seats. Man, help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us, help us. There's three seats here and there's some seats here. Come, don't be afraid. There's a hand, there's a hand. If you've got a seat, this thing's going to get, this thing's, this thing's more packed than I thought. There's a seat here also. There's some seats here. I've just, I've just created a seat here. My coat doesn't have to be on, the, on a chair. And there's a nice gentleman here who's willing to have somebody sit by him. So where was I? I was preaching over here and I was preaching over here, and I was preaching over here. So we gathered some believers over here, and we gathered some believers over here, and Paul gathered some believers over here. And as he was gathering believers over everywhere, he then sent people around, whether it was Timothy or somebody else, to go and visit the people who he gathered around. So Paul wasn't static in one place. He was going around preaching. Are you understanding what I'm saying? He wasn't static. He was moving. He was moving. And so um, also... Paul then got people to establish local elders. We just read that in one of the verses. Now, follow me. That's the early church model. Uh, somebody that was preaching was going around from place to place, creating believers, not creating believers, but through the power of God, believers were following Jesus Christ as he, due to the teaching of the individual. Now, check it out. GB Star. Now, I've just been going through this book called Revolution in the Church by Russell Borough. And he breaks this down. G.B. Star, G.B. Star, 1886, Adventist evangelist, was interviewed by a newspaper. The, um, now, I'm rubbish with American geography, so we've had this discussion earlier on, so I don't know where Indiana is, but somewhere in Indiana, um, regarding the past 40 years of the Advent movement, and he was asked, by what means have you carried forward your work so rapidly? Get the picture. Now, I want to lock this in your mind. I want to lock this in your mind. I want to lock, I'm going to stand on the chair. I want to lock this in your mind. 
Paul's going around preaching and teaching. As he's going around preaching and teaching, Paul's not static. He hasn't got a static ministry. He's all over the place and he's gathering believers who are static, but Paul's preaching and teaching. Are you with me? Okay, boom. By what means have you carried forward your work so rapidly? Start answered. We have no settled pastors. Our churches are taught to take care of themselves while nearly all our ministers work as evangelists in new fields. So I'm talking about, remember what I'm talking about. Remember what I'm talking about. A limited understanding of your own role. That's what we're talking about right now. Okay. So GB Star, when commenting, how come the work is just going forward so much? He said, we have no settled pastors. Our churches are taught to take care of themselves while nearly all our ministers work as evangelists in new fields. A.G. Daniels, I'm commenting on this, says, if we begin to settle over our churches to stay by them and do their thinking and their praying and their work that is to be done, then our churches will begin to weaken and to lose their life and spirit and become paralyzed and fossilized and our work will be on a retreat. Ellen White, commenting on the same issue, says there should be no call, there should not be a call to have settled pastors over our churches. New churches must be established, new congregations organized. At this time, there should be representatives of present truth in every city in the remote parts of the earth. God's call for workers, God calls for workers who will be producers. There is a world to be warned why the ministers who should be laboring in special service earnestly to open new fields and raise up new churches, hovering over the churches which have already received great light and many advantages which they do not appreciate. Okay, so catch it, catch it, catch it, catch it. This is what I'm trying to say. Let me sit down for this because you've got to take this thing in. I won't block the screen at the same time. Today, you can see my finger. There's different expectations of members, of church members and pastors than back then. Are you hearing me? What that means is that back then as a church member, in order to make this thing work, you couldn't lean too heavily on a pastor. You had to do something about the church that you were in. In order for this thing to work, are you with me? Because Paul wasn't there. He had stuff to do. And so because Paul wasn't there, you had to do something. Now, there's almost like a little shift. Young people come to church, not you, not you guys. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about young people. Young people come to church and it's not necessarily about trying to be a blessing. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a blessing. Sometimes young people come to church and it's about what can I get, not necessarily how can I serve. And what God's saying to us here is sometimes the reason why we don't get involved in church and the reason why we don't get involved in evangelistic activities is because we've got a limited understanding of our role. God's saying in order for the thing to work, you've got to make it work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because you haven't made it work. And if you put yourself available in order for it to be able to work, 
it can work. Are you with me? Okay, well, there's a limited understanding of the role. People have different expectations. We were brought into existence because we were needed. Signs of the Times, April 22, 1903. You are in an accident. And the reason why you are where you are is because you are where you are. And where you are, God needs you. I hope that makes sense. What I just said. We were brought into existence because we were needed. And where you are, oh yeah, because, yeah, 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 there we go. There we go, there we go. So, disclaimer, disclaimer. Not everybody was here at the beginning. I'm from England. And I know people have been struggling since I've been here with my British accent. So, please forgive me. I speak rapidly. Thank you, brother. If you need me to say it again, just say, say it again. Say it again, brother. Say, put your hand up. We'll, we'll make it happen. Is that okay? All right, so let me say that again. We were brought into existence because we were needed. You're not an accident. And so because you're not an accident, because God had you on his mind, because he formed you in the womb, and because he has a plan for you, and where you are is where you are because we're going to talk about it in the next session, you need to embrace your step. And so because you're not an accident, God needs you to embrace everything that you are where you are. Does that make sense? Including church life. Including church life. The dissemination of the truth of God is not confined to a few ordained ministers. The idea, notice this, that the minister must carry all the burdens and do all the work is a great mistake. Christian service, page 68. You've got stuff to do. I've got stuff to do. I'm not a minister, but we've got stuff to do. If you don't do your stuff, who's going to do your stuff? Well, there we go. Now, notice. Sam, you better speed up. Wow. I'm looking at the time. Help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us, help us. Now, I'm a KJV fan. Not because I think it's the best version. I'm just a fan. Is that okay? um, But sometimes the KJV gets it right. And sometimes the KJV could do a bit better. This is one of those texts where I think the KJV, help us, Lord. There we go. Where the KJV could do a bit better. Now, I want you to help me. I'm going to use my finger again because I don't have a pointer. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give those? This is the KJV. Why did he give those? Now, according to the KJV, It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So according to that, there's three roles. Yeah? Yeah? That's KJV. KJV. We love the KJV. I love the KJV. This is a KJV. Uh, You know, there's some things that the KJV says that just, they they, they get it right. They get it right. I love it. Um, But this one, check it in the New New King James Version. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you notice the difference? Somebody help me. What's the difference? Did, did anyone notice the difference? How many roles have the pastors got here? So previously they had three. In this one they've got two. So people look confused. Let me help you. This is why I need the finger. For the perfecting of the saints, comma. For the work of ministry, comma. For the edifying of the body of Christ, colon. Here we go. For the equipping of the saints, there's no comma for the work of ministry. Did you catch it? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let's go again, revised standard version. And his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain. So now, now check it in the New International Version. The New International Version has just nailed it with this text. They've nailed it. They've nailed it. They've nailed it. Watch it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Watch it. Shepherds ensure sheep are fed. Sheep produce sheep. Did you catch that? Shepherds ensure sheep are fed. Sheep produce sheep. Shepherds don't, well, shep, well, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. I'm not saying shepherds don't produce sheep, but I'm saying it's sheep's primary responsibility to produce sheep. In laboring where there are already some in the faith, the minister should at first seek not so much to convert unbelievers as to train the church members for acceptable cooperation. Let him labor for them individually, endeavoring to arouse them to seek for a deeper experience themselves and to work for others. When they are prepared to sustain the minister by their prayers and labor, greater success will attend their efforts. Are you seeing that now? Know that you've got a big role to play. God's expecting you to produce sheep. To produce sheep. To produce sheep. Now, Sam, you failed. We're not going to finish this. What we're going to do, we're going to do our best. Is that okay? We're not going to finish, but we're going to do our best. Okay, so hit next one, next one, next one. Too busy. Too busy. We don't get involved in evangelism because we're too busy. Don't get involved in evangelism because we're too busy. I need to sit down for this one because this one, this next statement is breathtaking. If you're too busy for Jesus, you're too busy. Is that fair? That's fair. That's fair. Jesus Christ came down to Calvary's tree and hung on a cross. He wasn't too busy. If you're too busy for Jesus, you're too busy. But the next statement I'm about to make is probably the most realistic of the statements. Here we go. In many cases, we have more time than we think. It's just that sometimes we struggle with being organized. 
Two true statements. Is that fair? The organization struggle. The procrastination struggle. Putting Jesus on the back burner struggle because I've got all of a sudden this thing has now become urgent. Um, here we go. God calls us to be stewards of our time. That's what he calls us to do. God calls us to be stewards of our time. Daniel 2, 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. God is the Lord of time. And what he does is, is that he gives us some, it's a bit like tithe. You return to God 10%. But you're still responsible to God for what you do with the 90. Does that make sense? Um, it's a bit like tithe. So God is the Lord of our time. And yet we do Sabbath for 24 hours, Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. But what you do with the other six days, you're going to have to answer to God for that. Um, we won't read that one. Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, I want to help somebody here who's struggling with organization. And the reason why I'm trying to help you is because I'm trying to help myself in the process. We should use our times wisely. Order is heaven's first law, and system is everything. So Ellen White says this, the youth instructor, January 28, 1897, this, oh, we're going to break this down. When you rise in the morning, take into consideration as far as possible the work you must accomplish during the day. If necessary, have a small book in which to jot down the things that need to be done and set yourself a time in which to do your work. Okay, here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Step one, this is what Ellen White's saying. Uh, step one is take time to plan. When you rise in the morning, take into consideration as far as possible the work you must accomplish during the day. Take time to plan. Uh, the days of this is the days of you get up, um, you've snoozed your alarm, um, you, you're not sure what's going on, you're trying to find your clothes, you're trying to brush your teeth, you're rushing out of the house, you just about grabs your books, you get into work, you're not sure if the cool, to, to walk to work. You're not sure if the kids have been... Stop all of that. What you're doing is you're reacting. You're reacting. You're letting life hit you, you're letting life hit you, and you're reacting. Stop reacting and get proactive. So switch from reaction to proaction, and if what she says is, take time to plan, and if necessary, have a small book in which you jot down the things that need to be done. Something that I've found that's helped me is... Getting the stuff that's in my head written down. Sometimes it's all swirling around in your head and you're feeling overwhelmed. I've got so many deadlines. I've got to prepare for GYC. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And so because I've got to do all of these things, sometimes I'm overwhelmed and I'm static. Um, what she's saying is, is get it out of your head and put it down. There's different apps you can use. One of the ones I'm using at the moment is called Todoist. I recommend it. To do this, I'd recommend it. Now, notice this. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. Um, this is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God. 
for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. Thus, day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. The reason why many people can't do this is because we've got no plans to surrender to him because we haven't made any plans. Are you hearing me? So what Ellen White is saying is, if necessary, jot the stuff down. Get a plan. Get a plan. You need a plan. This isn't 2019. This is 2020. You're grown. And so because you're grown, you've got a plan. What's going on with the day? What, what, am, I, what am I on? What am I doing? And then she says, set yourself a time in which to do your work. Now, let me tell you how this works. Bill Gates doesn't wake up in the morning and think, ah, oh, what have I got to do today? Um, let me have a go. Let me have a look. Do you think Bill Gates is doing that? He's not doing that. Donald Trump doesn't wake up in the morning and think, ah, oh, hmm, what do I feel like doing? I think I've got to do this. He doesn't, he's not doing that. What, what, what they've got is, what they've got is, they've got a calendar. They're working a calendar. Now, the way you use your time is a reflection of your values. So what you do is you think about what's important to you. I know family is important to me. So on my calendar, I want to make sure family time is on there. If you know that evangelism is important to you, you want to put that on your calendar. Does that make sense? If you don't have a plan, don't think it's just going to happen miraculously. You need to put it on your calendar. And when you work the calendar and you have a system, now you can start living your life with an evangelistic perspective. Right. Sam, you're catching up time. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Did, everyone, did we understand that? The role thing, there was that one. Then there's the too busy thing. There's that one. Now we're going to touch on one called no motivation. No motivation. Just not motivated. You're the youth leader at church and you're trying to get your young people to do something and... Have you ever worked with teens? Goodness gracious me. It's not easy. And you're just trying to, just trying to get some motivation going. Um, just trying to get some motivation going. And there's different causes for no motivation. Sometimes there's a lack of understanding of why evangelism in the first place could be a personal struggle. I'm not aware that the gospel can completely change somebody. Um, but there's two ways... Two ways, two ways that we're going to go through that can help bring or awaken motivation for evangelism in an individual. Two ways, two ways. Here we go. This is education, 292, paragraph 2. Sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. Now, I need you to catch this. I'm building a demonstration here. I'm not going to open the bottle. But say some water was pouring out here, and that's effective ministry. The spring of that is sympathy. Are, are you seeing what I'm saying? The spring of that is sympathy. Now, catch this. Catch this. She says, it's acquaintance that awakens sympathy. And sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. So I'm trying to get something on my young people or even in my own life 
to start doing the things that I want them to do, um, to start engaging in ministry, to start engaging in evangelism. Well, she says, well, the spring of that is sympathy. And there's something that creates sympathy in an individual, and that something is acquaintance. I don't think people got what I just said. Here's effective ministry. And here is sympathy. For me to get to effective ministry, I've got to first step on sympathy. But in order for me to have sympathy, I've got to activate sympathy. Sympathy doesn't just come because I've got it. So in order for me to activate this, I've got to access this. And this thing is acquaintance. We're going to talk more about that um, when we look at Jesus on the shop floor. So let me tell you how this thing works. So I'm a pharmacist, and there was one time I was working at an ophthalmologic section in the hospital, and people come with their prescriptions. And because they've just come from the eye hospital, they've had eye drops in their eyes, um, they can't see properly, they can't see clearly. And so because they can't see clearly, in the UK, you've got to sign the back of your prescription before you get it. So now they're coming and there's loads of these people and I'm asking them to sign and I'm getting somewhat impatient even though I know they can't see. I, 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 you understand what I'm saying? And I'm getting somewhat impatient and this was happening day after day, day after day, day after day and then one day something happened. I was upstairs in my house and where the bus stop is in my house, you can see it, this is before I was driving. You can see it um, from the top window. So what I used to do, I would wait at the top window, look to see when the bus is coming down the street, run outside, run down the stairs, go and just, just about catch the bus. So one day I'm doing that. As I'm doing that, I slip, bam, hit the corner of the house. My head ricochets off the door. I've mashed up my eye. So I have to go to the same ophthalmology hospital and pick up a prescription that I can't read. I'm the pharmacist. And I have to hand it in and I've got to sign the back. Are you hearing me? Now, all of a sudden, I've become acquainted. And so now my approach to the people that I'm dealing with is different because of my acquaintance, I've got sympathy. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood this. What he did is, because he wanted to become acquainted with us, he came down from heaven. And the Bible says that he's acquainted with grief in Isaiah chapter 53. And whose grief was he acquainted with? Well, the Bible says that he bore our griefs. He became acquainted with our griefs. And so because he was acquainted with our griefs, we haven't got a high priest who isn't sympathetic with us. We've got a high priest who is sympathetic with us. And that's his ministry. So... If you want to do something for Jesus Christ and get some sympathy for others in your people that you're working with or even in yourself, I would say start with acquaintance. To awaken in the children and youth sympathy and the spirit of sacrifice for the suffering millions in the religions beyond, let them become acquainted with, the, with, with these lands and their peoples. In this line, much, right, much might be accomplished in our schools. Okay, so here we go. 
Here we go, here we go. My friend Pooja. My friend Pooja. Work colleague Pooja. Wow. That thing just cut off. Help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us. Okay, well, it is what it is. There we go. Pooja, um, we both studied pharmacy together at Keele University. And then we both got our jobs at the same hospital. So when we finished our pharmacy exams, I remember Pooja said, she's not a Christian, she's a Hindu. I remember Pooja saying to me, Sam, I finished the exams and I poured so much of myself into this. So much of myself into this. So much of myself into this. And so because I poured so much of myself into this, um, I just came out the back of the exams and I just thought, man, is this all there is to life? So she was a girl, she didn't really know what she wanted to do. Are you with me? She'd done pharmacy, but she wasn't sure if this is what she wanted to do. So anyway, I had a conversation with Pooja just last week. Um, she's a big time manager now, um, where she is. And this is what she says to me. Sam, my mum's a school teacher. And at the school that she's in, she's working in an underprivileged area. And so they've got food stamps for the, some of the children and some of the parents are really struggling, but they've only got a limited amount of food stamps. And so not everyone's able to get a food stamp. Sometimes they've got to pick and choose who they're giving food stamps to. And she just said, Sam, I've got to do something about it. I've got to do something about it. Um, I think I'm going to go and study public health because I want to make a difference to the school kids that my mum is dealing with. What's happened to Pooja? She's got sympathy for the kids because she's become acquainted with their lives. Sometimes we're so stuck in our little bubbles that we don't know anything about what's going on with somebody else. What you've got to do is get outside your bubble, burst your bubble. And when you burst your bubble and become acquainted with the lives of others like Jesus did, mingling with other people, that will create sympathy in you for them and help you with ministry. I've put the clicker down. Here we go. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Otherwise, we're not going to finish. Where's your treasure? Um, these two texts basically say this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice. It's not where your heart is, there will your treasure be. It's where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So, my heart is over here. But I want to put my heart over here. So what I've got to do is, instead of putting my treasure here, I put my treasure here. And the Bible says, is if you put your treasure over here, then your heart will move from over here to over here. Did you understand that? The question that you've got to ask yourself is, is where do you put your treasure? What do I say, when, what do I mean when I say treasure? What are you doing um, about sacrificing? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your financial resources? Where are you putting your energy? Where are you putting your life? If you put your life in the things of God, your heart will be in the things of God. If you put your heart in the things that are not of God, or your life, or your resources, and your energy in the things that are not of God, that's where your heart will be. One on one is two. Quick maths. All right, let's keep it moving so that we can finish. Whew. Help us, Lord, help us. We've got 14 minutes. 
struggling to get my own life together, let alone trying to help somebody else with theirs. This one has got various formats we'll look at too. You understand what I mean when I say this? I'm just, uh, things aren't going out for me and you told me about evangelism to help somebody else. Let me sort out me first. And after I've sorted out me, then I'll try and help somebody. That's what, that's what the thinking is behind this. And it comes in two guises. Sometimes there's an issue that somebody may have had in the past. And so they feel like if I share my faith now, I'll be a hypocrite or people will perceive me as a hypocrite. Are you seeing that? And then the second one is, I'm actively struggling with sin. So I feel like until I've overcome sin, I've no place sharing my faith. You're seeing the two? Are you seeing the two? You're seeing the two? You're seeing the two? All right. There's an issue that I've had. Let's deal with that one. In the past, so I feel like if I share my faith now, I'll be a hypocrite or people will perceive me as a hypocrite. Got a question for you. Is there anyone here who has had no issues that they've had to struggle with in the past? Just raise your hands. You've had no issues. You've got four. You've, got some, you've, had, you've had no issues. You've had no issues. You've had no issues that you had to struggle with in the past. Um, second question. Is there anyone here who is not presently fighting their daily battle against sin? Raise your hand. All right. So there's no hands raised. Someone said mine. I'm, mine's just demonstration. <laughs> there's no hands raised. This is invisible. Sometimes I'm going to deal with something now. So I need you to stay with me. If you didn't catch anything I've just said, catch this, please. Sometimes there's a common root problem to the struggle. It's showing up in different ways, but there's a common denominator. Many of us, I need to sit down to read this because this is heavy. Many of us are Pharisees in reverse. Let's say that together. We're going to own it. One, two, three. Many of us are Pharisees in reverse. The Pharisee comes to God. And the reason why the Pharisee comes to God is because they've propped themselves up. What have they propped themselves up on? Well, um, I pay tithe from mint and cumin. I study my Sabbath school lesson. I do X, Y, and Z. Um, I've got my righteousness here. And so because they felt as though they can prop themselves up on their righteousness, on the good things that they do, they come and feel as though that they can serve. Some people feel as though they can't serve because they haven't got a prop. Catch this. Some people feel as though they can't serve because they haven't got a prop. Their thing is, I'm not doing this, I should be doing this. I haven't been doing this, I should be doing this. I haven't been doing this, I should be doing this. And my prop can't help me, but the Pharisee feels as though their prop can help them. The psychology of this person is, so person A, person A, we're in class now, person A. Person A believes they have a prop. Their good works. Person B believes that their prop is faulty, so they can't come and they can't serve. Person B isn't serving 
because they think that their prop is faulty. So person B thinks that if they had a good prop, then they could serve. Catch that. Catch that. I'm not sure if you caught what I just threw out. You, you didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. So let me say it again. The reason why person B isn't serving is because person B thinks they haven't got enough good works to be able to serve. Person B thinks that my good works aren't recommending me to God because all of God is bad works. What that means is, is that person B thinks that if I had good works, that's the thing that would recommend me to God. But it's not good works or bad works. We need to throw the chairs in the bin. The thing that recommends you to God is your need, not your works. It's your need. Your need. Your need. The best way to deal with our struggles is to serve. Strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, we see this interesting text. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a crowd of witnesses, I can't believe I'm going to finish in time. Praise God. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Paul here likens the Christian experience to a race. Pastor Ramdi's at the back. Thank you, Pastor Ramdi, for coming. He organized a thing in England called a, you know the 5K we're doing on, on Sunday? I said we. 5K that some people are doing on Sunday. Um, he organized a 5K in England to, to raise some money for a place called Abadaran. Was it 10? Help us, Lord. So what he did is, he comes to me, Sam, are you doing this 10K? Now, I was a young man back then. So, you know, I'll do a 10K. I'll do a 10K. I've got no problems doing a 10K. So I wasn't planning to do any training. Big man, don't need to train. I'm grown. So anyway, I go home, and um, there's this lady from my home church, Pat Cummings. She's about my mom's age. She's a runner. She's a runner. So she runs races and wins them. That's what I mean by she's a runner. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So she's a runner. And she says, Sam, are you going to start training? She says, training? What for? I'm planning to wake up on the day, have something to eat, full stomach, and go and run. And I'll run in my flip-flops. So anyway, she said, Sam, if you don't start running, you're going to get chicked. So what's chicked? She said, it's when a woman runs past you in the race. She goes, I said, I said, I said well, Pat, let, this is what we do. I says, take me training. Take me training. This lady's in her 50s. I catch up with her. I go to her house. We start jogging. We're about 10 minutes in, and I realize that this thing's serious. <laughs> um, now, the route that we've taken, I'm sweating, I'm panting. Pat's just having casual breath. The route that we're taking to get back to where we are, um, you've got to go up this steep hill. And you know, you're just doing the, you're doing the Google Maps in your head. I, I say to Pat, Pat, what route are we taking? She said, Sam, we've got to go up Sandy Bank. That's just this steep hill. I said, okay. So I'm running. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, Sam, meet it. You can do it. You can do it. You, I get to the top of the hill, not the top of the hill, the bottom of the hill. First step, I'm going. Second step, I'm going. Third step, I'm going. Now, by the, we've been running for about half an hour now, you know. Over, over 30 minutes. I'm dripping in sweat. 
Pat's just cool, calm, and collected. So, so, so I'm there, and I'm struggling, and something happens all of a sudden about a quarter of the way up. A pain shot down from my legs to the bottom of my feet and came right back up to the top of my head, muscle ache. And at that moment, I had to remember something that I heard about that's supposed to help you in the middle of your race. When at that moment you're struggling the most, you're supposed to do this when you're running. When you're running. At that moment, you're supposed to take your mind off what you're going through and picture finishing the race. So I'm in the hill, about a quarter of the way up, and I start thinking about my greenness and Almira that was at the top and touching it. And as I'm focusing on it, I've taken my focus off my struggle and I've put my focus on the finishing line. In the text, Paul says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and then notice... Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So Jesus is on the cross. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. The graces of human struggles. And the reason why he was able to endure the cross is because he had this joy set before him. My question is, because I've got my own struggles, what is this joy because I need to get me some of that to help me with what I'm going through are you understanding the logic like if this joy helped Jesus endure the cross the greatest of human it's bigger than any of your struggles in the room combined bigger than any of your struggles in the room combined Jesus was able to endure it because he had this joy set before him I'm saying I want to get me some of that joy. So the question is, is what is this joy? That's the question. And if you can get access to some of that joy, then maybe you can go through what you're going through. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You see three parables. Three parables. Three parables. You've got the parable of a lady who has 10 coins and she loses one. She loses one. So she sweeps the whole house. She sweeps the whole house. And then she finds the one coin. And when she finds the one coin, the Bible says that there's joy. Then you've got the parable of the 100 sheep. The shepherd who's got 100 sheep and one's lost. And then he's looking for the one sheep. He's looking for the one sheep. And he eventually finds the one sheep, puts it on his back, brings it home, and the Bible says that there's joy. Then you've got the parable of the prodigal son. The son who's lost, he knows he's lost. The father can't go and get him because that will just drive him further away. So it's on him for him to come back home. And when he comes back home, the Bible says the father throws a party, i.e. there's joy. The thing that brings joy to the heart of God is soul winning. And when you get involved in soul winning, you experience a joy that you've never experienced before. Nehemiah says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Here we go. As we wrap up, 
Ellen White commenting on this verse, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus was that of seeing souls redeemed by the sacrifice of his own glory, of his glory, his honor, his riches, and his own life. The salvation of man was his joy. When all the redeemed shall be gathered into the kingdom of God, he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Let's finish up there. Right. We have 20 seconds left. Limited role of understanding, you're needed. That's why you were brought into existence. God has a role for you. Too busy. Oftentimes, that's a lie. Get organized. No motivation. I'm not, I'll say that a bit harsh, but you get the point that I was trying to make. No motivation. Put your treasure where you want it to be, and your heart will follow. Don't wait for your heart. And get acquainted with people who need your help, and that will awaken sympathy. And struggling to get my own life together, actually, the strength for the struggle is found in the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is evangelism. And so, if it's your desire to experience that joy, and to allow the God of the Bible to help you in your struggle, in the next session, we're going to look at this one thing I would say that has impacted Christian young people um, in their lives, school, university, work, with regards to their specific struggles, where if they embrace this, it would just help them to live a more freer life. But for now, if it's your desire to experience the joy of the Lord, let's bow your heads with me, and we'll say a prayer, and I'll let you be on your way, or stay, or do whatever you've got to do. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, your kindness, and mercy. We thank you for the privilege of being able to share in your joy. Please may this be our experience. Help us to fight the battles you'd have us to fight and to live life, not simply trying to please ourselves, but to live life with you in mind. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.